The views and opinions expressed by individuals on the following program do not necessarily reflect those of the network, Guys Guy Radio, and its platforms. It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins. Guys Guys Radio. We're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think and feel and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journey, stories, experiences, and insights of the guests I bring you each and every week to the show. And today's show is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's pod.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And be sure to add our podcast... Guys Guys Radio in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. All right, we've got a great show here on Guys Guys Radio today. Very special guest, a renowned author. His name is Michael Punk. You may be familiar with his work. He wrote the novel, The Revenant, which became, which was adapted to a major motion picture that won multiple Academy Awards, particularly for Leonardo DiCaprio as he played the lead role as Hugh Glass which was a true historical character in the movie The Revenant. It also starred Tom Hardy. It's a terrific movie based on a terrific book. Now Michael has a new book. It's called Ridgeline. It's also a novel. It takes place out west, and it's about the movement west by settlers in the U.S. Calvary, and they're kind of plopping themselves down to build a settlement right in the middle of the sacred Native American hunting grounds. And as you see, while you read the book, you get the different perspectives, chapter by chapter, of different characters. You hear from Crazy Horse, a real character, and it's novelized for the book because, you know, Michael didn't know exactly what Crazy Horse said in this meeting or that meeting, but it's based on real, true historical experiences. So Michael has threaded that together with a narrative that includes a lot of different perspectives and points of view that lead to an inevitable clash between the settlers and the cavalry and the Native Americans whose land they have settled themselves or attempted to settle themselves on. And it's called the Fetterman Fight, and it's a real historical incident. And it was kind of a precursor, if you will, because it was in a similar, same similar area, rather, than Battle of Little Bighorn a few years later with General Custer. That was more about finding gold in them, their hills out there, uh, this is more about just a settlement and some of the broken promises that had been made to the Native Americans. And you get also an insight in the book as to the dynamics between the different tribes. It's not like all the Native Americans were all aligned, but when they found a common enemy, they, they, they found a way to get together because they wanted to protect their way of life and, their, and the lands that they grew up on and respect so much. So it's a very interesting read, and it's also interesting to... Yeah, while you're reading, you get all these different points of view, and you're like, do I root for the cavalry and the settlers moving west, that entrepreneurial spirit? But hey, they're doing some things that are not that cool. And then you do, you root for the Native Americans, whose land they lived and respected for many, many years, and now it's being intruded upon. 
There also is, you know, the concept of, you know, the manifest destiny of the United States. We just kept moving west, whether it was cross-country, directly east to west, or southwest, Mexico, all those areas that are now U.S., Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, California. One time, a lot of this land was part of Mexico. We, it's so easy to, to forget that. So I think the bottom line is we have to learn to respect everybody's point of view and where they came from, because they're going to have the history that they've been told, and that's what they're going to put their faith in. The other thing I really like about what Michael does as a writer is that he takes on that man versus nature. When you peel everything away, society, the cities, uh, everything so organized from, from how you say hello to somebody in the elevator, all the niceties, to dealing with civilized society and the anxiety that it can cause, when you get out to nature, it's you and nature, but it comes with a whole other set of challenges because nature, as beautiful as it is, it's very powerful also. So it's a really good story, Ridgeline, and we're going to get into details about that and Michael's experience with The Revenant, and I think you're really going to enjoy the interview. All right, that's going to come up in a couple minutes. I've got a few now, so let's talk about a couple things going on. I recently returned from my beloved New York City and New Jersey area where I grew up and spent so many years. I lived in New York for like 30 years and always had a place and a presence in New Jersey, whether it be by my through my family where I grew up or down the Jersey Shore where we kind of migrated to as a family. And uh, even though we were kind of everybody had their own place, everybody kind of moved south from Bergen County south over the years. And I went into the city a few times and, you know, you, you get one picture of what's going on in New York from the papers, which seems like, you know, there's a murder on every street corner. It's, of course, it's not like that. However, when I did go to Penn Station to leave the city, there was a shooting like 10 minutes after I, I got through Penn Station and got on my train. But bottom line is the city, my beloved city, didn't feel the same. Uh, it's it's in, it's getting better in some areas and some aspects of life. It felt There's like never the been York, a better that, time that for men to be whoever they want there. to be. Yet it's never been less air, clear who men really are. Guys Guy Radio, starring author Robert Manny, is on KCAA every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Whether it's relationships, sex, wellness, or spirituality, join Robert as he interviews the experts about how men and women can be at their best guys guy radio it's tough. better men on the street better world tested, getting the jab and a lot of people outside wandering around as usual in new york the streets can be filled in certain areas i was in koreatown it was, it was just chock-a-block with people it was like 90 plus degrees and some had masks and others didn't and then they have the whole uh, aspect of now when I got there, they put in that, uh, the second day I was there, they put in the new restrictions, basically that you need to show some proof before going into restaurants and bars. And the first place I went to was a place in Koreatown, and uh, the lady who runs the place who I recognized, she asked me if I had my passport with me, and, I, and I, I didn't. And I said, I don't have anything with me. And she said, talk to somebody else, and then they decided to seat me, and she said, September 23rd. I said, okay. Then my buddy and I went to another place afterwards. We wanted to grab a beverage before we both headed out of the city. So we went to a place that had an outdoor roof near near Penn Station, and they had the sign up that you had to have the proof. And we walked in, and the, I was waiting to see what the guy at the door would say. And he said, welcome, fellas. I said, can we go upstairs? He goes, go right upstairs. And we did. So I think what's going to happen there is that 
the law is in place, but it's it's a lot to ask the individual venues to start policing that. I mean, they have to they have to card people, of course, for age, for drinking alcohol, consuming alcohol. But this is something new where they're going to have to get into it with people about their status, and we'll see what happens. But it just layered another another bit of anxiety, if you will, throughout the area. And I just felt uh, throughout my week in Jersey and New York, there was a lot of focus, a lot more focus on the pandemic, like being in our face at all times versus out here in Southern California. I could be completely wrong. That's just my take, what I vibed with, what I felt. And um, it also kind of closed the loop for me because when I left, uh, it was February of 19th, the last time I was back and I was settling some business affairs and some real estate affairs and stuff like that. And then I came out here and then all hell broke loose with the pandemic. And so I didn't go back for a while. And so going back now, I got a sense as to, did I make the right move or not? And everybody has to make their own decisions based on where they are in their life and their life stage. And for me, it turned out to be, for me and my family, my little family, a good move to, to move out of New York City. Uh, we lived there for many years, and it was great. It was great for my career. But now I'm on to something else here with Guys Guys Radio, so I don't need to be there right now. So I figured, you know what? I got the best of NYC, and now I'm going to get the best I can out of uh, Southern California. I know a lot of people complain about here also because of the taxes and the traffic and uh, all of that kind of stuff. But it is a more outdoorsy lifestyle. It's good for me. It's good for my son. Uh, the weather's fantastic, and uh, we're, we're getting used to it. It's not as super cultural as it is back east, but you can, if you look for stuff, you can find pretty much everything, and uh, we like it here. So anyhow, Guys Guys Radio, uh, I think it's time to get with our guest. So let me bring him on right now, my interview with Michael Punk. It's Guys Guy Radio. Okay, Guys Guys Radio. This is my favorite portion of the show where I get to interview and talk to and learn from some really cool people. Since this is show number, I think it's going to be 488. That means I must have interviewed and spoken to over 600 people over the, over the last couple of years. And I've learned a lot. And I've got a great guest today. You know, I love novels and it's so tough to write a book and write a good story and I love it when I get a really good novelist on here. And he's written one of my favorite books and a fantastic movie that was made of it it's called The Revenant. His name is Michael Punk. He's got a new book. It's called Ridgeline. Let me tell you a little bit about Michael and a little bit about the new book, and then we'll get into it. So Michael's the author of the novel, The Revenant, which was made into an Oscar winning um, movie with Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hardy. It was a number one bestseller. And Michael has served in the U.S. as a U.S. ambassador for the World Trade Organization in Geneva. He's been a history correspondent for the Montana Quarterly and adjunct professor at University of Montana. He worked summers uh, in high school, a living history interpreter for Fort Laramie National Historic Site in Wyoming. He lives with his family in Montana. He's an avid outdoorsman. So welcome to Guys Guys Radio, Michael Punk. Thanks, Robert. I'm excited to be here. All right, let's get into the, the new book. What, what inspired you to choose? The name of the book is called Ridgeline, and it's about kind of a mashup out in a similar area near where Custer's last stand was, or greasy, right. the greasy fight or whatever they called it there. But the basically, greasy grass, greasy grass. The, the settlers came out there 
And um, they wanted to kind of plunk down and build a fort and settle right in the middle of some native hunting grounds. And that didn't go over well with Crazy Horse and Red Cloud and a bunch of others. So what was your inspiration to pick this historical story, if you will, the Fetterman yeah. fight as a subject for the book? You know, it's a less it's a less personal story than the Revenant. How'd you kind of come up, up with this? Well, the starting point for me is I love stories that are based on things that really happened. And the event that you described, the underlying event, which the, the book culminates in a battle, is just hugely dramatic to me and interesting. And on top of that, I thought that it tied into some really important, broader themes uh, that were about things that were going on in the country at the time, but also that are frankly still relevant today. And then lastly, it just has great characters. You mentioned Crazy Horse, Red Cloud, uh, Jim Bridger, who was a character in The Revenant, shows up in real life as an old man in this story. So it just kind of had all the elements for me. You know, when I was uh, found myself, when I was reading the book, I wasn't sure who to root for. I was torn. And I'm wondering if you did that on purpose for the reader or you were torn while you were writing it. Because, you know, there's the pioneering spirit of the settlers and the cavalry, and it's our government and it's our army and all of that. And then you have the Native American tribes, which they were uh, inhabiting and risking losing their native lands, mostly to broken promises by the U.S. government and army. What were your feelings when you were crafting a story? Were you, were you empathetic at all to the settlers as well as the uh, Native Americans? Well, the story is told mostly from the perspective, or I would say primarily the, the lead characters is, is Crazy Horse. And so it's told uh, predominantly from the, the standpoint of Native Americans. That said, as you point out, there's a broad cast and it includes uh, a lot of important uh, figures from real life on the side of the, the U.S. Calvary. And I I was not, I did not feel unambiguous about, about or uh, let me say it differently. I did feel ambiguous about some of the, the, the cavalrymen in particular, who I think were not out there uh, seeking to, uh, you know, conquer uh, the, the native tribes. I think some of them were there out of a sense of, of duty and kind of found themselves caught up in a situation that they probably didn't agree with. That wasn't all of them by any stretch of the imagination. But I think as in any group of humans, there's a, a spectrum in terms of, of motivations. You know, it seems to me that our Native Americans and all the tribes, they were very, very special group of people within the history and context of the entire world and civilizations and that they were very respectful to the land. They, you know, they had their own rivalries, but they were, there was a purity to the way they lived. And it's such a shame that they've been treated the way they have. What are your feelings about um, the tribes and the Native Americans and really their place in not just the history of the United States and the West, but in terms of humanity and our planet? Well, since I've been a, since I was a little boy, I've been fairly obsessed with with Native American history. I grew up in in Wyoming, and as you mentioned, I now live in in Montana. And so, uh, of course, the Native tribes are a part of the entire American history, but they're they're very much a part of the history in in the the places where I've grown up. And so, I've always been uh, obsessed with that history in a lot of ways. What comes through really profoundly to me in the story that I tell in this book is just the raw injustice of what was done to the to the tribes as part of that 
westward American expansion. And as you point out, uh, there's a lot of uh, heroic people who were involved in that westward expansion. And the, the bravery of those settlers and of many of those soldiers, I think, is something that it's not hard to find in history. But that came at an incredible cost to the people who were already living here. And in the case of this incident, it came in the face of a very explicit violation of a treaty that had been entered into between the U.S. government and the, the native tribes. And of course, that is a theme that we see throughout Western history. Why do you think that is, Michael? My guest, Michael Punk on Guys Guys Radio, we're talking about his new book, Ridgeline, a follow-up to The Revenant, completely different story, though, that the Indians kind of got, uh, Indians, Native Americans, excuse me, got screwed over, really, by the U.S. government. So many treaties were broken. Was it because uh, the government uh, always changes hands in terms of who's who's kind of running the show? And is it in the handoff where there are problems? Or was this just, just inevitable that the expansion of the country is just going to blow right through the West? I think there is some inevitability to it in the sense that the, you know, people talk about manifest destiny. And uh, when you break that term down, uh, what it means, manifest, obvious, destiny, what's going to happen in the future. And I think as a country, the United States was going to continue to expand from east to west as more and more people came to the continent. And so I think usually when treaties were made with various tribes, it was with a view towards pushing them away from some new place that the U.S. government wanted to open up for white settlement. And uh, as the years progress and as the number of settlers uh, moving westward increased, in, and in the case of the, the middle of the 19th century, increased dramatically, there became less and less places for people to go. And the convenient thing for the U.S. government to do and the politically expedient thing for the U.S. government to do was to break treaties that they had made with peoples who were politically powerless and move them aside. And that is absolutely the pattern that you see time and time again throughout U.S. history. At the same time, on, when it comes to the Plains Indians, you have a, a people and a culture and an economy that is built around the notion of 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 wide open spaces where they can wander as nomadic tribes following the buffalo. So their whole economy and culture required massive amounts of land. And ultimately, those two things just came into to irreconcilable conflict. Now, I think a lot of people don't understand there's so many different tribes. It's not like everybody got along and all the Native Americans were one big happy family. There was the Sioux and the Crow and the Sashani and the Apache, and the, it was like so many different um, tribes and so many different rivalries. Um, how did you uh, learn about that? And, and what did you learn when you got into really diving into the individual tribes and their kind of profiles, if you will? Well, to pick up on, on your point, I guess what I really learned a lot is just about the, the complexity of, of indigenous American culture. And as you point out, there are there are hundreds of, of tribes. And uh, even in just this part of the Great Plains in which this story takes place, there are dozens of tribes and they had their own 
complex uh, historic relationships with each other, some of which were uh, were in conflict. And that was one of the things, frankly, that the that the U.S. government and the U.S. Army was able to exploit. And one of the things that's interesting interesting to me about the story in that I tell in Ridgeline is Red Cloud, who's uh, one of the the major chiefs of uh, of the Lakota, is I think under recognized uh, as a political genius. He's oftentimes recognized as a as a military genius, but what he did in the fall of 1866 is he pulled together this coalition of tribes that was not accustomed to fighting together. And it was a huge diplomatic coup and it completely took the US army by surprise. And it's part of the reason why he was so successful uh, in, the, in the incidents that I, that I talk about. Mm-hmm. Why, why did you choose the, what's called the Fetterman fight um, as your uh, subject matter? The Custer's Last Stand or the Greasy Grass, if you will, took place a few years later. It was, a lot of that was about the gold that was in then their hills, if you will. And this took place before, and it's a very interesting uh, setup in terms of what led up to the battle. And the way you tell the story, Michael, you did a terrific job because we get every perspective we get from the Native Americans. We get the wives of some of the settlers. We get the the scouts. Uh, We get just an overview of here's how the cavalry behaved in their inner conflicts and all of that. But how did you actually decide upon, I'm going to write about the Fetterman fight? Well, look, I love the story of the Battle of the Little Bighorn. And I've spent a lot of time kind of wandering that battlefield, which is in my uh, uh, home state of, of Montana. But one of the things I loved about the Fetterman fight is that it is less well-known. And so, it, but it's one of those things I think that you read about it and you kind of can't believe you haven't heard of it before because it's, yeah. a, it's a big fight. It is dramatic in that uh, I won't uh, give the, all the details, but it, it doesn't end well for the U.S. cavalry. Um, it occurs at an earlier stage in the history where some of these things are still, it's not quite as uh, apparently inevitable how things are going to turn out. One of the things I love about 1866 is that Crazy Horse, who, as I mentioned, is really the, the lead protagonist in, in this book, is still a young man. And in our uh, and, you know, for those of us who know a little bit about Crazy Horse, we tend to think of him more 10 years later when he's fighting Custer at, at the Battle of the Little Bighorn. And at that point in his life, he's, he's fully evolved into the person he becomes as both a, a, a leader and a, and a human. It's fun in, in 1866, 10 years earlier, to see him at an earlier stage in his life where I think he's still... Uh, making a lot more mistakes, and in many ways seems much more human than he does later on when he almost becomes superhuman. So for all those reasons, I thought it was really fun to focus on this on this particular incident. It's a terrific subject matter, and you did a great job. Let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the strategy. Red Cloud, he is a brilliant guy, and he's kind of the overseer of all the tribes, and he talks to Crazy Horse, who seems to be a volatile young man. He wa- He's aggressive. He wants to go get he must get after it with the with the cavalry when he sees they're going to build a fort right in the middle of the hunting ground. So Red Cloud tells him, just kind of pick at them. And uh, throughout the book, the the Native Americans and the tribes, start, they get together, they start 
they go after some settlers who are uh, have some cattle who are a little further ahead of uh, the main group. And he starts picking off, you know, one by one different areas where there's vulnerabilities and really watching. Is that exactly what happened? And how did you research that? It's brilliant. Well, I did. I did try and have the book be very close to actual history. And of course, it's it's fiction. It's it's uh, historical fiction. But for the most part, it follows very closely actual events, including even some of the smaller kind of skirmishes and smaller fights that I talk about over the course of the fall. And as you say, one of the things that makes this story so compelling is that there's this crescendo over a relatively small number of months in the fall of 1866 after the U.S. Army arrives, Red Cloud uh, settles on this strategy of kind of probing, picking away, learning more about his enemy. All of that kind of builds up to this big battle at, at the end. But uh, but I, I think that uh, what I discovered when I did the research is that the actual things that happened were so compelling that you, there was a lot that I didn't need to make up. And I'll, I'll give you an example. In one of the early fights that you talked about, a small group of Lakota drives off the U.S. Army's cattle herd, a, a herd of a thousand cattle that they were relying upon for their food supply. And the way that they did this, uh, the way that the Lakota drives that cattle herd off is when they uh, approached the herd, there was a small herd of buffalo that was grazing nearby the cattle. And they literally drove the wild buffalo herd into the cattle herd, which stampeded the cattle herd. And that's just the kind of thing that you almost can't make up. And uh, in the case of this story, I didn't have to because that's how it's described as, as happening in real life. Another area I thought that was interesting is when I was reading about the cavalry, you had the colonel who had limited experience, Carrington. I don't think he'd, he'd been in any big uh, fights yet. And then you None. had uh, Fetterman. And then you yeah. had um, the uh, third guy who uh, was really kind of problematic. Um, Grumman. Yes, Grumman. And um, there was a lot of backbiting, a lot of politics, uh, even between the wives of the uh, you know, the the leaders. And then there was an illegal still. They were selling alcohol. They were doing all kinds of stuff. The corruption yeah. was there right from the beginning. And you didn't see that uh, on the tribal side. Um, they were more about we want to protect our lands. And then you have the whole issue of, you know, the stampeding of buffalo to uh, just run them off cliffs and stuff. Was this something that was actually true? And was this the white man that did this where they killed so many buffaloes needlessly just for a couple of skins? Well, there's a couple of different eras that get caught up, I think, in your in your question. Okay. Uh, if you're just if you're just talking about the the buffalo, the in in the era of the horse, which is what the you know the 19th century is for for Native Americans, uh, I think the Indians are viewed very much as as hunting using uh, very sustain what were effectively very sustainable. Uh, methods where the tribe would follow the the herd, uh, they would harvest what they needed. You know, right. it's it's well known that how every part of the buffalo was used. Uh, there were earlier eras in Native American hunting bef before the horse, when tribes did drive uh, herds of buffalo over cliffs because that was the way that they had to hunt that type of large animal. 
And I'm sure that there was uh, was some waste involved in that. Uh, that was probably kind of a feast or famine type of uh, okay. of methodology. So they were sustainable. So I guess my there, point was, which yeah. I didn't make very well, was that there was a corruption that it seemed to be involved in everything that the settlers did. And I was wondering if that also included wasting a lot of buffalo needlessly. But it sounds like well, um, I'm, com- that, I'm I'm yeah. I'm 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 just. It, tying things together that those didn't necessarily happen that way. The, the army was not, uh, the army at that, in this story is, is living off of, of, uh, of supplies that they literally had to bring with them at the same time though. Uh, there are private individuals that are starting to hunt the Buffalo in, in incredibly non-sustainable ways. Okay. And what we think of as the Buffalo herd being wiped out by commercial hunters hunting only for the hides that is starting to happen uh, especially further south where the railroad had come through. So in Kansas, Colorado, the buffalo are already starting to disappear. They have not yet started to disappear from uh, because of white hunting from Wyoming, Montana, because the railroad has not arrived yet, which was necessary to make that whole buffalo economy work for, for white hunters. Why do you think this particular area, which seems to be a little bit north, a little bit out of the way, I could be completely wrong here, had so much historical significance in the opening up of the West, this area here versus south, where I think the railroads were south of this area. Is that correct? Yeah, that's the the first transcontinental railroad was certainly okay. uh, south. Well, I think the, you know, Lewis and Clark, of course, went across Montana because they were following the the Missouri River. Okay. And so it's uh, that first highway of the West was was the Missouri and uh, Lewis and Clark were following that, seeking a path to the Pacific. And that same pathway, those same that network of, of rivers becomes the the pathway for early fur trading and early exploration. And then what's happened right before the incidents in my book is that gold has been discovered in Montana. And that leads to a gold rush, which is the reason for the U.S. Army wanting to have this new road, which essentially spurred off northward of the Oregon Trail and goes up to the gold country in Montana. And that's what then leads to this immediate fight that happens in 1866. Got it. Okay, Michael Punk, my guest on Guys, Guys Radio, the new book, Ridgeline, a novel. It's a terrific story about settlers moving west, running into the local tribes, setting up a fort in the wrong spot at the wrong time, and then the consequences of what happens. And it's a great story, beautiful writing. I remember one particular passage where you described the difference in the how the grass changes in September versus the summer. It's just beautiful writing. So you did a great job with that. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate that. I remember the day I wrote that, actually. Oh. And it was, uh, I'm very fortunate to live in, I live in Montana, uh, the last house for about 60,000 acres. And uh, I'm very fortunate to live in nature and be outdoors every day and see the progression of, of seasons on, a, on an hour by hour basis. And I remember that morning when there was very heavy dew on the, on the fall grass and you could see the grass uh, bowed down from the weight of the dew. And you just had that sense that this was, it was going down for one of the last times before the the snows came and just, and just buried it. But it was a, it was an evocative moment. Mm-hmm. I coming from New Jersey and, and, and being a runner, I used to run along the boardwalk of the Jersey shore. And I would notice that the wind would change. It was almost like on time on, on the clock, September 1st, the wind would shift from the North. 
and then it would be there for another eight, nine months. But it was like it was like September 1st, things seemed to change. So I'm glad that's kind of a, a universal thing here in the States. Let's talk about um, the book now is uh, been optioned, I guess, by anonymous content. Uh, right. A, a very terrific company. Um, I know because I was talking to them about one of their stars, Michael Imperioli, I think is rep by them. And they're talking about a series, your TV series. I think this would be a terrific limited run TV series. It would be fantastic. So I hope that comes through. I know there's a lot of uh, things to jump over there, but let's go back to your story. You wrote a couple of books, I think, and then you hit home, hit the home run with The Revenant. Was that a surprise to you? And then tell us about that journey because you know, it's not a big story, if you will. It was a it was a character study and yeah. about two guys, you know, going at it. And then all of a sudden you've got this movie and you've got DiCaprio in it and you've got these super talented director and you had the terrific screenwriting team and Tom Hardy and you got all kinds of stuff going on. And then it becomes this monster hit. What yeah. was it like for you? And, we, you know, how did you get there? Well, it was a it was a very long journey, actually. The I wrote I published that book, The Revenant, in I sold it actually a couple of weeks after uh, after or right before nine eleven, mm-hmm. and so in two thousand and one, and the film was made in two thousand and fifteen, and so it was uh, a a fourteen year journey from the time of selling the book to actually the the film being made, and in the meantime. It, I think, like lots of projects in in Hollywood, went through various stages of of uh, excitement and and dormancy, including some long stages of of dormancy. As you mentioned, anonymous content uh, was really responsible for keeping the story alive, and it was anonymous that brought Alejandro Iñárritu to the project as as director. And it was really after he became attached that things started to happen more quickly. Um, most importantly, uh, Leonardo Di- DiCaprio coming on board to star as as Hugh Glass. And then once Leo was on board, it felt like it happened very quickly, at least in the scheme of the of the fourteen years that I'd been been thinking about it. But it was a lot of ups and downs. I had kind of moved on with my career in a lot of ways. I'd written a couple of of other books, a couple of screenplays, but I was living in Geneva, Switzerland, as you mentioned, working as U.S. ambassador to the World Trade Organization when I got the call that that Leo was on board to to be Hugh Glass. And it was a a pretty exciting moment for sure. And, And events did take off after that. When the book was originally launched, was it a hit, a bestseller right away, or did it kind no. of was it kind of like it, it, you know? Because some it happens, and it's not a, a, a slag; it's it's a compliment that it's good things to you know take time to be discovered often. And it sounds I know this is a fifteen year journey for you. So kind of what happened with that? How did that? Yeah. How did it? How did it kind of get hit where somebody said this could be a movie? Yeah. So it uh, it was the first book that I had ever written. And I was, of course, thrilled to have it published. And like everybody trying to publish a first book, I spent months and months trying to find an agent. And then my agent spent months and months trying to sell the book. And then we finally sold it. And and just that felt like a huge kind of uh, thing to celebrate. But uh, it, it got good reviews when it came out. But it was a 
a book that was read primarily by my mother and her friends uh, <laughs> for a number of years. Uh, fortunately, she's got a, quite a few friends, but uh, uh, I was happy for it to find uh, to find a broader audience when uh, the film was made. And obviously that made a, a huge difference in terms of it. The, the book had gone out of print and uh and came, you know, came back into print. So how, we, how did that happen? That's my question. Yeah. Because you launched it. It is a, you know, it's a, it's a very specific story about these characters and uh, based on truth and historical facts that the book, the book didn't sell all that well. It was well-reviewed because yep. it's a terrific book. I read the book after I saw the movie and I want to ask you about some of the changes that were made, but, and then what happened for that book to be discovered and somebody say, Hey, this could be a film. Cause it, it obviously they were right. Yeah. Well, there was a there was a guy at uh, at anonymous content who saw the film potential uh, of the of the book early on and brought it to anonymous. And then anonymous had it inside of you know their company for almost a decade, I think, before before all of the elements lined up. And, uh, and it, you know, turned into a movie. So, and it, of course, so it was, it was really anonymous, uh, seeing the potential of, of the Revenant as, as a film and then having patience over a very long period of time to wait until the right constellation of Mm -hmm. director, star, um, everyone else aligned to, to have it made. One thing that I was told early on is that if The Revenant ever got made into a movie, it would be with a very big star attached because as you point out, it's so focused on, that story is so right. focused on one person. And I was told that for somebody to finance that type of a film in Hollywood would only happen if it was around somebody big. Mm-hmm. And uh, it might never get made, uh, but if it did ever get made, it would be made around a big star. And that's that's how it ended up happening is, uh, as I mentioned, Inuritu came came on as director. He attracted DiCaprio as as a star. And with DiCaprio, it it got made and okay. ended up doing pretty well. You have written some screenplays. Did you take a swing at doing an adaptation on your own? Did that, and if so, did that get handed over? And then you had all the Hollywood people start pulling it apart because, as you know, writing a screenplay yeah. is a different animal than a novel. Yeah, a screenplay, it has to be on, it's going to be on the screen and it yeah. has to be almost myopic in terms of the story. I did not write uh, the screenplay for The Revenant. And at the time that we first optioned it, I had never written a screenplay. And I think the experience that a lot of people find is, is, you you can't sell a screenplay until you've sold a screenplay, uh, the the catch twenty two of of screenwriting, and uh, I had never written a screenplay, and they they hired somebody else to do that. It, it ended up being a great guy named named Mark Smith who wrote the the screenplay for for the Revenant. He is a a wonderfully uh, collaborative person, by the way, who was kind enough to involve me along the way in terms of sharing drafts and asking, you know, different historical questions and things like that. And so I was able to have that level of involvement just uh, as as a friend of, of Mark Smith and with his, you know, kind of, as I said, generous collaboration. But it, it to be honest, it, it pissed me off that I couldn't write the screenplay because I did feel like it was it was my story. Sure. 
Um, and it motivated me to learn how to write screenplays, which uh, uh, I spent some time learning to do and then was able to, to sell a couple of, of screenplays. I've never sold anything that's ultimately been produced, but enough to get into the Writers Guild and to credibly be able to say, you know, now, for example, with Ridgeline, that that uh, if there is going to be something uh, made of this for for TV or film, I want to be the person to to write it. So, but that was a, a long process, including you know taking a couple of years, obviously, to to try and uh, credibly learn the craft of of writing screenplays, such that I could even uh, make an effort to, uh, to to say that I would write it. Did you go to, did you attend the shoot at all? Did you meet uh, any of the big players? I was, uh, I was not able to attend the shoot. Unfortunately, it, it was shot mostly in Canada, a little bit in Argentina, a little bit in Montana. And I was in Geneva, Switzerland that whole time working for the U S government and just was not in a position to be able to, to take the time to travel and, and go on set. I did meet uh, some of the people involved with, with the production, inc including uh, DiCaprio, Inuritu, uh, at the in conjunction with the the Golden Globes and and the Oscars, so had that experience, which was a a fun yeah. and great experience. Were they cool? They were great. It was uh, it was fun. Uh, I had a uh, I won't pretend that I'm uh, uh, besties with uh, DiCaprio or anything, but uh, we had a very interesting conversation at the Golden Globes about about the Buffalo. Actually, he, as you know, is a is a big conservationist, and he had uh, he had read another book that I wrote about the buffalo, and, and we talked about that. So it was it was it was fun and interesting. We're talking about Revenant now, which was a kind of a small book when it was launched, but you know you stick with it. It took fifteen years. It became an Oscar winning movie. So for all of you writers out there and uh, aspiring screenwriters, you know you got to stick with it. You got to be in it to win it. It's like everything else, whether it's writing or or being a podcast host or, or dating, you know, if you're not in it, you're not going to win it. So, uh, okay. <laughs> so what's next for you, Michael? So, uh, I am, as you mentioned, very hopeful that we will get some traction with, uh, either TV or film adaptation of, of Ridgeline. It's obviously a story that I love and a project that I'm passionate about, and I would love to work on that. Um, I intend to keep writing books, which I just, I love to do. Uh, I love the, the excuse for doing historical research in a kind of organized way. So I think I will stick in the, in the century that I'm in the 19th century and the, and the region that I'm in the American West, which to me is just full of so many compelling stories that it, it's, it's made for, for for storytelling. Okay. Where can uh, our listeners and viewers find out more about you? Where can they pick up the book, et cetera? Well, I am a amateur of Twitter and Instagram <laughs> at mpunk, M-P-U-N-K-E on, on Twitter and at M-W-P-U-N-K-E on Instagram. And I, uh, my, my kids don't think I'm very good at it, but, uh, I do put up uh, a lot of of pictures from my uh, my travels uh, around around okay. the state of Montana. So if that's okay. of any interest to people, right. uh, and, then, uh, and then bookstores, you can pick up Amazon or any of the bookstores for the book or Ridgeline. Every place books are sold. Fantastic. Well, listen, great job with the book. I really I'm like about 
more than halfway through it. I can't wait to find out what happens. I'm really engrossed and finding myself who, who am I rooting for on the, in this section. And the, and the, 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 the book moves along very nicely because it switches perspectives. Awesome. Awesome. You don't get, you know, the reader doesn't get bogged down. You keep it moving and you can see what's going to happen and it's not good for the cavalry. So anyhow, terrific job. Thanks Fantastic to meet you. And I'm so glad you were with us on Guys Guys Radio. And good luck with this making this into a TV series. It's going to be great. That's Thanks. I appreciate it. Great to talk. Take care. There's never been a better time for men to be whoever they want to be. Yet it's never been less clear who men really are. Guys Guy Radio, starring author Robert Manny, is on KCAA every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Whether it's relationships, sex, wellness, or spirituality, join Robert as he interviews the experts about how men and women can be at their best. Guys Guy Radio. Better men, better world. It's Guys Guy Radio. Okay, terrific conversation with uh, renowned novelist Michael Punk. Again, I think you're really going to enjoy his book, Ridgeline, and I hope it does come to fruition in terms of becoming a, a uh, TV show. I think it would be a great limited series. Uh, obviously, the, the story comes to a conclusion when there's the big battle, the Fetterman fight, which actually took place. It's a historical fact. Um, so I don't know how many seasons you could drag out of it, but I think for a limited, uh, you know, 10 episode type of thing, I would think it would be fantastic because there's a lot of great characters and um, a good human insights. And it, I think it would be a lot of beautiful nature. I think it would be a great show. So best of luck to Michael Punk on that. And again, I see him as almost like a modern day Jack London. Good work, Michael. So what else is going on? Okay, Guys Guys Radio, we're here every Wednesday evening on KCAA Radio right here in Southern California at 8 p.m. Pacific Time, 102.3, 106.5 FM, 10.50 a.m. The podcast and my YouTube post worldwide every Thursday. There is a replay of the KCAA show on KCAA every Sunday evening at 6 p.m. Pacific Time. So you've got Wednesday evening KCAA, Sunday evening KCAA, 25-plus worldwide platforms for the podcast every Thursday, as well as my YouTube. The YouTube, you just use my name, Robert Manny, M-A-N-N-I. It'll bring you to a, a channel called Guys Guys Radio. We have the interview portion of our show there, and so you can see me interviewing Michael who, or anybody else. I would love it if you could subscribe to either my YouTube or the podcast. Again, the podcast, we're on over 25 platforms globally and we're doing great um as well as kcaa has their own podcast too so if you like to listen to their podcast we're there but also we're on apple google stitcher podbeam podmo pod paradise backtracks spotify pandora mixcloud listen notes podplay castbox luminary player.fm owltail podtail podchaser radio public tune in iheart radio and we just got picked up by Amazon podcast. So you can find us anywhere. And again, if you, if you support the show, if you like me and the guests I bring you in the content, <laughs> hopefully, please subscribe either to the YouTube or to the podcast. I really appreciate it because we're there for you. You can also catch me on my website, Robert Manny, M-A-N-N-I.com. There I've got over 300 plus 
uh, full blown out blog posts about anything concerning with life, love, and the pursuit of happiness, relationships, wellness, diet, fitness, money, career, family, uh, anything that has to do with making your life as good as it can be. And that's what we do here on Guys Guys Radio. I bring you the guests that I think have something to offer, whether it's entertainment or some messaging that can really help us live our day-to-day lives to our very best capacity. And I have learned a lot interviewing over 600 people for the show, a lot of really cool people. And hopefully you've been able to pick up some information and some tips that can help you live your best life. That's what we do here. Also on my website, robertmanny.com, you can download three free chapters of my novel, which is really the source material for everything Guy's Guy. It's called The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love. It's about two guys competing in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money in New York City in the ad field. It takes place about 10 years ago, so it's a little bit of a period piece, but the themes of friendship, of revenge, love, betrayal, integrity, loyalty, and even spirituality are all woven through the book. It's a rom-com, it's fast, it's frothy, and it's been called the male successor to Sex in the City. We've gotten wonderful reviews from both men and women. Women like it because it's a kind of a peek behind the curtain into the world of the modern man, the mysterious creatures that we are. And for men, they finally found a book in this genre that they could read and say, hey, that's us. You know, two guys in advertising, they, they're competing with each other. And that's how men are. We're mostly, for the most part, lone wolves. We do our own thing. We get together with our boys and we watch games and play games and stuff like that. But we don't really share too much intimate stuff unless it's really important. Whereas if you watch the, you know, Sex and the City, the TV series, the four gals got around, got, got together all the time and sat around a table with their cosmos and talked about men and got into details and everything. Very entertaining, very chatty. Men are not quite wired the same way we kind of wrestle with our own problems on our own and uh, if we have something really big like some big news i met somebody new or i'm getting a divorce or whatever it is then men will confide in one of their best buds but they usually don't lay it out there in front of a bunch of guys because they don't want to i think it's because they don't want to be subject to potential ridicule or jokes because men have a tendency to kind of try to make light of everything and or solve things and as the ladies know Men are always trying to solve their problems and they don't need men to solve their problems because they just need men to listen. And I think with everything that's going on, you know, with the bro culture being kind of pushed off the map and, uh, and the, the Me Too and the, the, the long overdue recognition of women's uh, success and achievements, that it, this is a time for men to just listen. You know, I always say this is the greatest time to be a man because uh, this is a time where it's never been uh, more clear that men can be whoever they want to be, yet it's never been less clear as to who men really are. So it's up to you guys. It's up to you to determine who you are, what you are, how, what you have to offer. And uh, if you do that, and if you are comfortable in your own skin and you're, you're, you're a heart-based person, your intentions are good, you're going to be recognized because women are very smart and they'll see through all your nonsense and they'll see if you're a good guy or not. And hopefully uh, you can make your own connections that way because uh, nowadays getting together with somebody, as we know, just making the connection and dating, as tricky as it is without COVID, now you've got the COVID thing on top of it. And also with last year, there was so much uh, polarization between you know voting for Biden or for Trump and 
just everybody split down the middle, and now people are split down the middle in terms of the the pandemic, and it's not even based on party lines per se. It's, it's so there's a lot being done to kind of keep us apart, and that includes men and women. And I think this is a good time for guys if they really step it up and listen, and they're there for their for the women. And I think women, for the most part, they're very supportive of guys. They're not looking to take over per se. They're looking to stand alongside of men, so everybody's equal. And if that's the case, we all win. And that's what we do on Guys Guys Radio, the place where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins, Guys Guys Radio. So I'm also, you can find me on social media, all the usual places, and I'm here for you each and every week. So we're going to be back next week. We've got more guests. We've got some really interesting shows coming up this fall. Thanks for staying with us. I thank my listeners for the wonderful support. I thank my guests for the wonderful information they share. And I thank my producer, Chris, doing a great job as always and always has my back. So we'll see you next week. And as I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first. There's never been a better time for men to be whoever they want to be. Yet it's never been less clear who men really are. Guys Guy Radio, starring author Robert Manny, is on KCAA every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Whether it's relationships, sex, wellness, or spirituality, join Robert as he interviews the experts about how men and women can be at their best. Guys Guy Radio, better men, better world.